X's for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the amazing mutants of Marvel through their many titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me online at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And today, we have another amazing episode for you. It's been a long time coming, but Nightcrawler is finally leading a book of his own in the pages of Way of X, followed by the continuing story of Ben Percy's Wolverine number 11 with its ever-rotating cast of awesome artists. And then we're going to conclude things with a look at the first arc of the most recent run of Runaways, because, you know, Molly's a mutant too, and on this show we like to cover all of the mutants. First up is Cy Spurrier and Bob Quinn's Incredible Way of X number one. Now, we had two different rooms talk a little bit about what made this issue special and unique right off the bat, what made this story pop, and so stick around after this first bit of coverage for a surprise introduction and then a few more voices talking a little bit about what made Way of X number one so great. We hope you guys enjoy. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm your friendly neighborhood x-nerd blake you can find me on twitter and instagram at blake's buzz and for all your indie comic needs you can head over to my blog blakesbuzz.com and i'm jonah and you can follow me over on twitter and instagram at peak jonah that's p-e-a-k and we hope you survive this experience unlike pixie who's got the nerve to think that she can walk up to somebody with a loaded gun and that she's just invincible and, like, nothing bad would happen. Yeah, you know, I don't remember any of Pixie's powers being faster than a speeding bullet. And clearly, that is what happened here. Now, obviously, there's some context to it. But that means we're here to talk about Way of X number 1 by Simon Spurrier and Bob Quinn. This kickoff issue was spectacular. I mean, just quick, everybody's fast, quick take. I mean, I give this thing, like, an 8 for a first issue, you know, just drew me in right away. What did you guys think? Just quick first reactions. Super badass. I thought you were going to say super bad, and I was going to be like, oh, this is not going where I expected. Uh, no, no, no. I, I adored it. Um, very much so. Uh, now, I'm biased, and, you know, you give me a Kurt, and you give me some uh, some questioning morality, and I have to give it a 9.5. 9.5 uh, little bamps out of bamps. Yeah, I, I'm really with you guys. This issue took me... It really took me there. I was really excited about this issue. Since The Crucible began back in like X-Men number seven, we have been promised the sort of major revitalization of Kurt as a member of the X-Men. Now, he's always been a humongous part of how the team functions, but it's so frequent that Kurt gets sort of remaindered to a background character when he has so much to offer. And I know, Blake, you've been looking for X-Books that give you, as a newer reader, an opportunity to step into the world and understand some of the history you've skipped. And Jonah, you know, you're the biggest Nightcrawler fan on the show. I want to get a little bit more about what you guys thought about this issue. You know, Jonah, you'd been sort of like cock-teased for this issue forever. Was the payoff worth it? Do you feel like it was worth the hype of over a year of prepping us? 
Oh, absolutely. It's like I was being edged the entire time, and now it finally gets to release. And as gross as that sounds, this issue was so important to me, and it was so special to me, because to me, Kurt is one of the hearts of the X-Men. And he's the lovable goofball who's the fuzzy elf who not only just takes care of everybody, but he makes sure that everybody knows that he's at least on their side and he's got their back. So not seeing Kurt have a really prevalent role in many titles across this Dawn of X era, I was really a little hurt because I feel like he's a character that has so much and there's so much that you can do with him. But this issue just gave me everything and more of what I really needed. And I was so happy that Cy Spurrier was able to capture a voice that I think fits Nightcrawler so well, especially in this time of questioning morality and faith and all these different things. I really think it was a natural evolution to have Kurt go here and when he's confronted with all these new questions that you know he doesn't know exactly how to answer i actually think it's really interesting that kurt seems almost like a little bit of an outsider uh which is you know something that kurt's very used to because he can't help that he has a heavy flow and a wide set teleportation he doesn't even go here no he doesn't go here It's really interesting seeing Kurt be one of the only mutants, at least that what we've seen on panels, not so visibly happy about this new Eden and this new garden of Krakoa that's been granted to them. And I was really excited when we saw in the issues of X-Men number seven, where Kurt was questioning so many different things. I'm really happy to see, I'm really happy now to see where that is going. Now, Blake, You've come to the X-Men a little bit later, like you're a late-in-life Xer, and I think that that's really cool that you you have accepted your latent exality. And, oh, I should have said, ex- how do you, sexuality, exuality. Okay. Yeah. I'm really proud that you've accepted your late in, your late in life exuality. And you've had a number of fascinating number ones, whether it was that first wave of X-Men, Marauders, Excalibur, New Mutants, X-Force, Fallen Angels, or it was the next wave of titles, which included Wolverine, Cable, x Factor, Hellions. And now we're at this this next wave, right? And things are kicking off with Way of X. We know that we're getting X-Core in the near future, which if that cover art and that if everything about that book is as good as it looks, that is going to give me multiple corgasms. And I am just so I'm just so fascinated by somebody who has come into X-Men sort of for this event in a lot of ways, this big, you know. Hox pox change. How did this number one stack up with all of the other number ones that you've been looking at? You know, of course, not taking anybody down, but just comparing the idea of coming into the X books later in life. Now, wow, I one... really make it sound like you're functioning with some <laughs> sort of like special class that we need to think about. Like you're that character that we get way late in the game. Like we got you on disc two. So you come to us at level 25 with a bunch of your specials unlocked. <laughs> yeah, this was definitely one of the better premieres. You know, I mean, I was into X-Men as a kid, but not necessarily the comics, right? So, like, everybody watched the cartoon. I've always, I've loved Nightcrawler since uh, the, the Sega Genesis game, you know, where you could bamf around and, you know, those those shitty graphics that looked so amazing at the time. Uh, so, and, and I also really liked, you know, when I, when I for a, a period of time, when I went back to X-Men comics, you know, Nightcrawler was dead. And, uh, and you know, I really liked the arc where Jason Aaron brought him 
back. I, yeah, I know that's, I'm a, different I'm, with people, but yeah, I Amazing X Men is one of my all time favorites. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm not the only one, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I think Jason Aaron's X Men work is some of the finest X Men work of all time. It's I will, really good. Yeah, I will like. I will seriously throw myself on this fire as often as it takes. Wolverine and the X Men is a testament to what makes the weird in X Men good. It's like a less intentionally uh, psychologically abusive new X Men that is a lot easier to walk into and read without walking away shaking and broken inside. And so and, weird that Wolverine led that front, right? Because his he's his past is so traumatic and violent and intense. And to put him in that position during Schism, when like when Cyclops turned into the warmonger and or terrorist that some people described him as, or and then Wolverine goes and and starts the Jean Grey school and you know kind of takes over the uh, Professor Xavier role, like that that whole switch, man, that like blew my mind. Like and it worked so well, so and well. The, and the idea that Xavier was sort of forced to rehabilitate Wolverine back in the classic Claremont era, and Logan understood that while the optics were he was choosing to rehabilitate Quentin Quire, he was essentially rehabilitating Quentin Quire in order to stop another, you know, Magneto from erupting. And it's such an important moment in X-Men history. It gave us, you know, Kid Gladiator, who we still see. It gave us, you know, Kid Krakoa, you know, Son of Krakoa, which is so spectacular. And it's why I have a Nick Bradshaw, Wolverine hanging in my bedroom. Sorry, it's in my office. It's Wolverine drinking a beer, wearing a t-shirt that says choir was right. So like, (laughs) I really identify with this run. It's such an important moment in X-Men history. And the amazing X-Men return of Wolverine is one of those pinnacle arcs that really explores characterization in a nuanced way without sacrificing the big screen event of it. I just wish it didn't have Azazel. That's yeah. Uh, And and also uh, for our, listeners uh if you guys are interested in wolverine and the x-men uh you can of course check it out on you know uh marvel unlimited but they are reprinting the omnibus this year which you know right now that that thing's selling for like 300 or so dollars and it's been really hard to get um it's one of only two omnibi i'm missing in my entire collection <laughs> yeah I, I i and i love that i have it and you don't like part of me it's just so <laughs> fucking weird like i mean you know jonah when jonah comes and stays with us and you know when he's not being a busy working man he sees the collection grow and every time he comes back I have to like justify oh no see that omnibus has a cover I like so, but like <laughs> that omnibus has this one character who's never been appeared again never been appeared again who's never appeared again but you see Jonah I love them I love them they only have seven appearances but let me explain to you why all seven are legendary and yeah, this this Wolverine and the X-Men Omnibus, I do just want to go on record as saying, as much as I love this Wolverine and the X-Men Omnibus being reprinted, unless it's getting an expanded treatment a la Captain Britain by Alan... Well, he really can't be called that Captain Britain by Alan Davis anymore. What The uh, Captain Britain Omnibus that's also getting the UK recombination of Birth of a Legend and Siege of Camelot put back into the Omnibus, so that's going to be a 1,200-page Omnibus instead of a 300-page book, a 300-page book, and a 600-page Omnibus, right? So they're... 
I really hope they do that with this Wolverine and the X-Men because it is significantly to this omnibus's detriment that missing from this is all of the Battle of the Atom stuff. Yeah, and then the, the miniseries with him and Quentin, too. I thought that missing, was weird. Well, I, you know, I kind of accept Alpha and Omega not being there because Alpha and Omega was by Brian Wood and it sort of ran parallel. The thing I'm also kind of surprised that isn't in, in there is the seven issues of Amazing X-Men that really kind of fit with it. I understand that the follow-up run by Jason Latour is a little bit in too many crossovers as much as I enjoyed that run as well. And I recognize the complication in including perhaps some of the more, I'll be honest, some of the more frivolous minis that I would include, like the the Hunt mini that tied into Infinity that starred Quentin and Brew, or the Awakenings mini that was very much in the same vein, featuring a number of kids from the school in an inhumanity setting. So I would have loved if those could be combined as well. Maybe they could do an omnibus companion to Wolverine and the X-Men, throw in a good 70 pages. But now we're just talking about how much we love Wolverine and the X-Men. Oh, yeah. We're supposed to talk about Nightcrawler. <laughs> yeah, well, and he is the star of Amazing X-Men. So Nightcrawler does love wolverine maybe i love their bromance man like they their friendship always comes through so wonderfully on the panels i love how um nightcrawler really grounds him um you know when he's kind of when he's kind of lost and and he he's like the center point you know like kind of like kate is with wolverine you know like wolverine gets lost in the anger and and the vengeance and the and and his corrupted memory and he has like a a handful of you know accomplices in the x-world that really ground him and remind him of like he's where he's supposed to be and i've always really really loved that about uh wolverine's deeper friendships with the x cast uh but yeah this this way of x issue it was so good i mean cy spurrier is is really talented anyways um but i I mean this was this hit a lot harder than i thought it would it hit all my erogenous zones basically and uh and as as jonah said you know we've been edged for a year and we're finally able to release uh and and it it, it's funny because I am not a religious person and I have a lot of problems with religion because I was, you know, raised, went to private school and saw a weird side of it. Uh, and, you know, to, for Kurt to, uh, I've, I've been interested in this whole Krakoa religion thing since they brought it up forever ago. We, I think everybody thought when we got the giant size Nightcrawler that it was going to deal with that and it totally didn't. Uh, and it wasn't a bad issue, but it just wasn't what any of us expected. So to finally get that now uh, and 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 what, when we're getting it, it's, it's it's Kurt struggling and, and all these things that Kurt is struggling with makes total sense. Like the reincarnation, the immortality, the crucible, like these are weird culty kind of things sometimes. And I know people get mad when you call Krakoa a cult and I'm not necessarily saying they're a cult, but they're cult adjacent, like saying Avengers adjacent and, and some of the other books right now. But I, um, I just, man, it was so good. I'm so excited for where this book's going. I'm really excited that, uh, Spurrier has this really great, um, attack attachment and voice for Nightcrawler. Like you can tell he just loves the character uh, and they've given him a great art and color team. The letters look good. You know, the, uh, the, the text pages and the graphs that we're getting are, are great. So this was a beefy issue. It was like 45 pages. It was like, you know, like there's a hell of a premiere. You got, if you're not reading it, you should read it. Like it's, so it's solid. I'm so, so glad you said it was a beefy boy because I love me a beefy boy. Right. That's, that's, I really want my, my money's worth for my books. Right. 
if you're going to give me a title and I'm going to pay $4.99 for it, I'm not expecting the world, but you know, make it worth my page count. And I think Size Spurrier has such a legacy with the X office, kind of always covering the weirdest shit possible. Now, this issue did see a return to him writing in the X offices, but let's not forget, he's been writing in the X offices as long back as 2011 when he wrote the Regenesis miniseries X Club, starring Dr. Nemesis. So it's not like even the characters he wrote here he was new to. He's been working on Dr. Nemesis for a decade now. So seeing him turn up here was not a big surprise. Of course, Cy Spurrier is probably better known for his breathtaking run on X-Men Legacy featuring Legion, which I, of course, keep in my bedroom. It has some of the greatest covers I have ever seen in my entire life, and it was edited brilliantly, it was put together extraordinarily, and I could not recommend it enough. His X-Force, I'm going to say your mileage may vary, but it's not a wasted read by any stretch. And as far as Nightcrawler goes, a little background for all y'all on the Blue Fuzzy. He has had a number of minis and what I'm going to call pseudo-ongoings. I mean this with no disrespect to anybody, but the optics machine is more powerful than sometimes we consider. And we need to remember that they're going to tell us that a book is going to be an ongoing, but they have a projected endpoint on a book. They don't necessarily kill it at that point, no matter what. But when a company engages in creating a product, they have an expected end date on it. And for a significant amount of time in the uh, late 90s, in the early aughts, in the 2010s, we were running into a situation where books were never expected to run past 12 issues, right? So Nightcrawlers had a number of those like, oh, look, it's a 12-issue series that even if it had been terrific, it wasn't going to go long. And the most recent incarnation was a spectacular tribute to the character under the pen of Chris Claremont doing some of his sharpest work toward the latter part of his career uh, up there with uh, War Children for those of you who read New Mutants War Children and were impressed his Nightcrawler is that same level of quality I would point out that his Nightcrawler is by the the art is by the incomparable and irreplaceable Todd Nock so if you want to read a book that is too beautiful to look at definitely check out that recent Nightcrawler series So, okay, I just gave a lot of background on these creators and on this character. Why did I do that? Well, because Nightcrawler is so storied, it's hard to pick just one version of Nightcrawler. As a matter of fact, I compare Nightcrawler to Daredevil pretty frequently. He started out as a swashbuckler. He was different because of what was a perceived disability. He has to hide his specialness in public for fear of judgment. I mean, there's even silly aesthetic things like primarily associated with one color, an initial fighting style of being a swashbuckler and specifically an Errol Flynn style swordsman at times. And then the parallel to the gritty religion and redefinition of character. You know, I'd rather avoid the exploding communion wafers of holy war but for you guys who is your nightcrawler i'll be honest my nightcrawler needs to straddle the line of silly and religious how about you guys yeah um you know he's i'm not super as familiar with uh the uh the jokey nightcrawler but i i don't mind it like i actually think it makes the humor hit harder when he cracks jokes uh but i do love the the religious uh nightcrawler I, you know i th- i think of him as this like christian knight sometimes uh and he, and just 
you know, what he's willing to defend, how he's willing to cling to these these kind of old ways and old thoughts in a really beautiful way. Like it's poetic kind of um, even in the man, even in the X-Men movies, he was cool. I thought, you know, and, he, and they've aged not great, you know, but I, I still love him. But uh, yeah, he, you know, him and the sword uh, doing cool shit with his tail when he when he swings swords with his tail. Like that's my Nightcrawler. Um, I oh man, I love Swashbuckcrawler. For you as a guy who I mean, you love Nightcrawler so much. You've adorned your body with a stunning tattoo of Nightcrawler. Who is your Kurt? Is he mischievous? Does he blend into shadows? Is that tail really that prehensile? Who's your Kurt as a guy who puts Kurt above all other mutes? Uh, I would have to say Kurt's kind of the everyman. Kurt has a lot of different facets and he's a character that looking through different iterations and different, you know, writers and stylings and how they want to take the character, he always falls in the very similar categories and how he's always written. I don't think he's a character who's gone through very drastic changes when it comes to his goals, his personalities, or his beliefs. He's pretty much a very staple character and I think that's why I'm so drawn to him is that he's always written in a way that's always familiar and even if you know him more as a very serious little more captainy kind of guy or more of a goofball throwing little demons at people i think he really resonates with a lot of people so i'm really happy to see him take on leadership in another role in determining how to best forth how to go forward and answer the questions that he knows that maybe other people have. And those questions really came due in this first issue. Now, we could talk extensively about the plot, but I know that the other rooms are going to have a lot of things to say about the patter and the way the issue played out. One of the things I find so fascinating is that we are Nightcrawler in a lot of ways in the context of this story because Nightcrawler is not a part of the inciting incident that kind of puts the story into motion. He's not truly a part of that pixie situation. He's a bystander despite being there. Much like we as the readers are bystanders of this situation despite being there. Now, admittedly, the Magneto, we'll call it Gaff, was on Kurt, but that's that Kurt playfulness. Eric should know that that's who the guy he's tried to kill is. And you know what? It's on Eric to change here. I'm, you know, Eric and Kurt are pretty neck and neck for me, like in terms of like not too far behind Logan. So it's it's hard to say, because I am too serious. And anybody who is on this show with you will tell you, I am too serious. Like I'm putting it all out there. If you guys could see our group chat, I'm the guy who is too serious all the time. And I'm fine with it. So in that regard, I get being an Eric, but like, you know, my Jojo is my Kurt and like, you know, he is silly and he makes me laugh, but like Eric took this all the wrong way and all the wrong places. And I think Megan did all the wrong things. I don't think that that's an appropriate way to interact with the world. Even if you have the ability to come back, you're not Quentin choir, you're Welsh and we expect better from you. So what did you guys think about Nightcrawler as a bystander? What I really liked about that mission moment of finding that, you know, secret operative group of Orcus in a church 
uh, it really showed the difference in maturity levels of someone younger like Pixie and someone older like Kurt in their world experiences and understanding how not only does the world work or how you should treat people, just in general. Yeah, sure, you can come back to life, but that's not that's not how you treat people. It's not what you're trying to do on Krakoa. Sure, that you'll often hear Magneto spew that mutants are better than humans, but at the end of the day, you're still trying to cohabitate. You're not trying to take over the world like they fear. No real reason to dick around with them or be rude because then shit like that happens. It was a really great moment for me. My only, I, I guess it's a, it was a weird moment for the female mutant with the gravitational powers for asking Kurt to be her partner in the Crucible. It was a little weird because it wasn't a direct question and I'm not sure how Kurt was supposed to get what she wanted out of her just saying, I'm lost. Because to Kurt, in his mind, if someone's telling him he's lost, they're lost, oh, well, there's, there's this help center, you know, there's plenty of people you can ask around for help or guidance or whatever. I don't blame him for not registering that someone was asking him to be uh, their partner in the Crucible. And I also don't know if Kurt actually has it in him to do that. We kind of saw in the issue where the Crucible was introduced that Kurt's kind of against it, and he's not really for it, so... It was a very interesting moment for me, but I think it really defined Kurt's definition of serious when he needs to be and jokey when he when he also needs to be. Like I thought it was hysterical that they found a Magneto uh, statue. That looked like it was doing costume. a WWE pose. Because you know he did that. Oh, for sure. A thousand percent. Magneto, mister, I took over New York for three days and yelled at Charles, who was in a coma in a vat, and claimed that he was torturing and psychically, like, toying with me. Can't take a joke. Come on. And I do want to point out that I do put the onus on the mutant who, some of her elongation and the fact that there was no gravity, I wonder if she's going to be connected to Abyss, who I believe is in some way one of Kurt's partial siblings, the mutant who has the kind of a dark hole, you know, eternally fall through me powers, right? So I wonder if that'll be a connection there. But it's not like she was speaking Flemish, which is in some ways similar to Deutsch and... There could have been some, oh, I've lost my, I've lost my connection to my culture. You know, it's not like that. She was literally unclear. Ugh, not his fault. Well, there, there, was also, there was also kind of a play with like the, you know, Christ and the, as the shepherd and the lost sheep. Right. And, uh, and I think I, I liked the guilt that kind of took over Nightcrawler in the end where he realized that like, oh, she wanted, even though like Jonah said, like, I don't see him being a crucible executioner. Um, but just the fact of like, you know, he is obviously trying to start this religion in this issue. We get, you know, excerpts of like the new scripture. Right. And and even the excerpts we get of the, the textual pages um, are dealing with him, like struggling to find his voice and 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 express his faith kind of in this new way on Krakoa. And for him to kind of shrug off this woman uh, when she needed him uh, is is I, I think that that really hit him in a, in a hard way at the end of the issue uh and and there was 
was a lot of weight there. Both um, him watching her get executed in this, you know, ritual that he does not believe in. Uh, him realizing that he kind of failed a, a member of his flock that he's trying to accumulate. Uh, and, and just, I think that's why the, it works so well when everyone starts vomiting. Because it's just like, it was really heavy for a little bit. And even the way, like, Magneto ends it. Like, he, like, makes the sword, like, thrusts it across the, the you know, the, the arena, like, into her chest. And, and she's a big character. She's elongated and, and like, crumples and fall. Like, that was, like, a really heavy-ass moment. And I loved that, like, when it, like, goes to her being resurrected and they all start vomiting. And I was like, I was like, cool, we needed some levity here. Um, But, yeah, the, the idea of Kurt as a bystander and what he witnesses in this issue and what we learn about Kurt uh, and the world of Krakoa through kind of his eyes, even though it's not necessarily told from his, his point of view, right? Because it's a comic book. So we're, it's like watching a movie. You don't watch through the eyes of someone else. Um, but, you know, it, it just worked really well. Just like when uh, when Pixie, um, you know, kind of killed herself, which was weird. Uh, it was like the ex-kids were daring her to die. Uh, it, you know, that reminded me of, it wasn't it, in New Mutants a few issues ago when, when Gabby was like yelling at I people. have been so, oh, that was my next thing. New Mutants. Great stop. Great job. Great job. <laughs> but, you know, like, um, you know, Gabby's this clone and, and we've got this this issue with clones right now. And are they like, are they mutants or are they not? Are they real people or are they not? And of course, very much, I, I agree that I think they are real people. Um, they're wonderful characters and I want them to be treated with respect. But Gabby tells everybody, like, just because you can be brought back doesn't mean you shouldn't value your life. And we see this, like, horror in Kurt's face when, when Pixie walks up to this guy with the gun and takes a bullet. And I thought that was really strong because it's, you know, X of Swords reminded us that, like, okay, maybe, um, you know, the uh, the resurrection protocols aren't always going to work, right? Like, the, the shit can happen. Um, but also, like, what happens to a character when they don't value their life anymore? They don't, they aren't that same character. So we still, in these books, have to find a way for the narrative to, you gotta, you, they still have to feel fear and want to live, right? And and that's where this resurrection protocol gets, gets iffy. And I loved Kurt just dealing with all this in a scene. Like, it was beautifully done. And I think that's the magic of the new age of Hoxpox, where when you think about the idea that X-Men can come back unlimitedly, and, you know, one of the big things that media covered about it was, oh, well, now the X-Men are immortal, who cares? Uh, well, I don't think calling the X-Men immortal is very fair. I think we can call them effectively immortal, but they are not incapable of dying. The spirit of the X-Men is now immortal. But just because you have a bountiful volume of something, does that mean you should no longer value it? If I hit the lottery tomorrow, would I no longer care about money at all? Would I only care about money when I was down to my last dime again? And if we look at it through that lens, the X-Men are essentially saying, oh, we don't value our lives until we find out that they can't come back again. And I think that is really where Kurt is starting to have a problem. The value of immortality through this form is not a reckless willingness to die ad nauseum, but rather a vast access to the wealth that is life immortis. And Kurt is here to make sure that in gaining a significant value of stock in something, we do not forget the intrinsic value of each unit building that stock. And that's kind of the magic of Spurrier doing this title. 
He's creating not a morality play, but rather an argument that life is worth preserving, even if there is more life to be found. And it's kind of in that lens that I found this very similar to the central narrative of Hoxpox and the Hickman titles. But, you know, there were a lot of things that drew me to comparing this to Vita Ayala and Rod Race's brilliant New Mutants run. I felt there were some comparisons between Shadow King and Legion in the form of the Patchwork Man. I felt there were comparisons between the interactions of the kids and how they handled themselves. And I also felt that there was a heavy weight put on mortality. Now, Jonah, as the closest in age to these kids, something that I've always kind of puzzled over is why anybody thinks this whole sense of youth means immortality that younger people tend to have why anybody ever thinks that goes away because i know i still don't have any self-preservational instincts so how do these kids read for you in terms of that sense of life doesn't have unique value per body in this instance it's something that I, I appreciated about the younger voice that um, was captured here because that is how I imagine a lot of people closer to my age think. You know, I think it sometimes too. We have these moments of invincibility and it starts when we're younger because we do think we're invincible. You fall down, you get back up, you jump off of something, you maybe you hurt yourself and you heal and you're like, oh, I can do anything. And I really can, you know, uh, I, I I am invincible. Nobody can hurt me. And it takes a moment and it takes only maybe a singular instance of you not being invincible or you getting really hurt or something bad happening for you to say, oh, no, I'm not invincible. And I think it was a really needed moment for Pixie to come to terms with that. Do I think she really she will in the future? Probably not. But for someone like Kurt, who never really had that I'm invincible mentality, he sees it for what it is and he's someone who understands that your life is precious no matter what you do so i was really interested and i really like that juxtaposition of kurt who is a little bit younger still having a much more mature and a lot more grown stance versus someone like the kids he was with who maybe don't understand that death is still a very serious thing you up, Blake? Um, well, you know, I I agree with a lot of that, and and also I think that you know the way you, so Nightcrawler did die and come back, right? But he had to like literally fight through hell and heaven, and his teammates had to cross these realms and help bring him back to the world. So even in his resurrection, it was it was a struggle, and it was an intense, you know, it was it was a mini event. It was a whole six issue event where, or five five or six issue event where the X Men like saved him from heaven and hell and brought him back to Earth, and it was awesome. But the time that was where all of the marketing was that's where all of the promotion was they made it a big deal yeah and and he and now you know it's he's just these these kids are or these kids or everybody so far you know like as we saw in hawksbox like our main x team w- was killed and, and resurrected but you know they're grown in an egg and their memories are downloaded that was an, also a really cool moment in this issue where um uh pixie's favorite food when she goes from like wanting a grilled cheese to wanting sushi and how we talk about like the missing uh ad 
like you know even, even whether it's a whether it's an hour or a day or however much time like you're missing part of yourself like that down we we've now like confirmation that these downloads are you're missing part of it just like uh we, i guess we kind of got that with domino previous too anyways um but you know like kurt remembers everything uh and and he knows about this res and so that's i like his issues with uh the the cat like you know this cavalier mentality of like oh it doesn't matter like i can kiss the end of this guy's shotgun and let him blow my face off uh because they'll bring me back you know in, in a couple hours and kurt realizes that the danger to that and uh the uh the 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 mental uh hindrance i don't know that's a bad way to put it but like the the weight of of your mental health like what that does to you like and and i think we're gonna see more of that at, in the reign of x i hope we do anyway because like that whole deal with colossus and and domino was really cool this new little deal that spurrier brought up where you know pixie forgets that she wanted a grilled cheese and goes back to wanting sushi because there's a part, scene where she mentions like oh i never know what food because the kids tell her sorry listeners i'm all over the place the kids tell her to you know right before you die think of something cool like your favorite food and she mentions oh well my that changes all the time like you know yesterday i was dying for sushi today i'm dying for a grilled cheese and then she dies and nightcrawler brings her a grilled cheese and it's really cool i was like oh man he's such a badass guy like he's just a he's everybody's great friend he's so supportive and he's right there when she comes back to life with a grilled cheese and she's like what no i want sushi and so these like it it's a it sounds like a very minor detail but it's actually a pretty big deal in regards of like this in this resurrection protocol you don't get all of yourself back and eventually like for people like wolverine or well, i guess wolverine's a bad example because he's not going to die a lot because he, he's hard to kill but for these people that these warriors that die in battle a lot and are continuously brought back to life if every time they come back if they're missing something you know especially for a, a person like nightcrawler who's trying to build a religion and think of people's identities and and how he can make them feel more important and value life like that's a huge conundrum that he is going to have to come up with as the shepherd and the flock and him trying to start this new way on Krakow. So no, it was like 10 minutes ago, but at one point you said that Nightcrawler's like, you know, Nightcrawler's resurrection in the first place was much more difficult. And I just couldn't help but go to when anybody returns to Top Chef, because Top Chef has people back way too frequently. But when anybody returns, they literally make shitty little comments like, you know, when I was on Top Chef, we didn't have a convection oven. And the kitchen was smaller. <laughs> and we didn't have that much money for our challenges. You guys have it easy this season. And, well, actually, they don't have it easier because they add other things like sudden death eliminations where the thing that usually just sets the tone for the episode instead becomes the thing that sends someone home. And, like, I'm making a weird example here, but that's kind of like what the X-Men are going through. We've seen Kurt die in the context of Hoxpox. He dies in space during the original two miniseries that were one. You know, he dies in the mission against the satellite. So we already know that he has taken advantage of this situation, know that knew he was going into a suicide mission to protect the mutant species, but he still is able to, while taking advantage of this situation, because it is the right thing to do, he's still able to not take for granted its importance and its significance. So there were two major, we'll go with weirdos in this issue. I mean, this, you know, a spice, a Spurrier book is always filled with weirdos, but there were two particularly weirdy weirdos in this book. And both of them are characters that Cy Spurrier has extensive experience with. 
Dr. Nemesis, who, the flowers in your head, man, I just don't need that. You can midsummer that shit on home. Fucking too weird to look at. But number two, the return of my precious, my beloved, my David, who I am more than a little criminally obsessed with. So was this anybody's first Dr. Nemesis? And was this anybody's first Legion? I knew yes Dr. to both of those. <laughs> I knew Dr. Nemesis from uh, uh, Fractions and Brubaker's X-Men. Uh, he pops in, like uh, Beast recruits him. Uh, so they can try and like figure out how to get everybody's powers back after um, after the no more musical. And then Legion, I, I kind of know, but I'm not I'm not I, I have not read Spurrier's epic legacy X-Men legacy run, which I now want to. The flowers in the hair or not. They were mushrooms, right? Psychedelic mushrooms. Um, that was Yeah, that makes the leaves less disturbing. You've really <laughs> you've really encapsulated what makes that less fucking weird. No, really? I, it, well, the, and what was funny is because I was like, he kind of looks like this one guy from this X-Men run. But I was like, he did not have mushrooms on his head so no and then they were like no it's dr nemesis and i was like oh okay um wow all right and now he's just real shroomy he's super shroomy got the fun guy he's a fun guy guy. (laughs) guy. (laughs) 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 old white dad jokes (laughs) and he looks like an old white dad i when i saw like the teaser panels that came out i was like oh okay cool he's just got like red hair with purple no apparently it was mushrooms and um that's just weird it was interesting to find out that he is responsible for the super drugs well it makes sense when you're a self-evolved intellect like him well i had been under the impression that perhaps they were a naturally growing thing on krakoa it had never occurred to me that they would be something synthesized but rather something harvested so that was kind of a an interesting awakening for me in that regard Especially because of how things happen on Krakoa, like even the architecture, they kind of like think about it and it appears or they have like the donut plants that like grow fucking donuts and you eat donuts. Exactly. So I did think that was a little suspect, but I don't have a problem with it. It's part of the plan. And I trust this team to have had that in mind at some point. But of course, speaking of things in mind, oh boy, David is never the right call. He is wonderful and I love him. But David can only ever make things go horribly wrong. And Cy Spurrier has a command of Legion kind of like unparalleled. And I am so excited for what he's going to do. But I am concerned for what that could mean for Kurt. There is sort of no Legion shows up and everybody's happy that I I can think of. How do you guys feel about the potentiality of a guy who's caused multiple crossovers just waltzing in to the end of the first issue of this series. You know, I actually wanted to ask you a question too, because uh, I, you know, I, I like the show and I know a little bit about him. And like, Age of X is so badass. Um, but so he's omniscient, right? And like the future seers are supposed to not be here. Like, what's so- that going to do? He has multiple powers stored in multiple cells of his mind. That's kind of like a way you can look at it. He's not the psychicist. He has some psychicisms, but he's not the psychicist. You know what I mean? He's psychic, but he's like Daphne in the first few seasons of Frasier a little bit psychic. Like, if he's not using those powers, I think he's okay. He's predominantly a telepath, telekinetic, and pyrokineticit. Pyro- oh, God. Pyro Connecticut. Um, Pyro Connecticut. It's an I, new fact. So that's where Pyro is from. He's from Connecticut, and it all makes sense. I yeah. Oh God, telekinetic. And all he's trying to do is chase the high of the Mystic Seaport. 
I think if his yeah, I'm 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 with you. Um, I think if his of, of all of his abilities are on except his future sight, I think he's okay. Okay. Yeah, I he's just, got so many powers. I I I know. Like that's he gets he gets hard to follow, which is also what makes him a great character, especially when like he starts manipulating like you know time and space and reality. It all works really well when he gets when he's on it. It's it's cool. And but yeah, I just I thought about that and I um I didn't I wasn't scared of like it breaking the narrative. I was actually kind of excited because I was like, oh shit, like he's not supposed to be here you know like what what's because you know we have all these mysteries still that we haven't been addressed like why do they not want the precogs we still don't really know that like what is is what's charles's plan that's so secret and and possibly evil that we can't let the citizens of krakoa know um and why can't kate go through the gates and why can't the the children of the atom go through the gates? so we have like all these kind of big revolving mysteries and i really thought that that maybe legion would like bring the facade crumbling uh like like shattered glass like sprinkling down from the sky as is as glittering factoids that we can collect and and it cuts our hands as we pick them up off the earth and and our blood mixes with the narrative and it becomes some but you know i guess that's not gonna happen that's fine that's cool i'll still buy the books i guess Hey everyone, it's Nathan, and in this next segment, Maddie, Kyle, and I bring you some of our favorite WaveX moments. In this quick round-robin piece, we talk about our love for Dr. Nemesis and ponder what we want to see next and what we're worried about. We get into some deep discussions about the difference between the way the younger mutants and the older mutants view death. It's really exciting, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Hey guys, and welcome back. This is the X's for Podcast family, and we're going to be doing our favorite moments from ZVFX. And we are here to cover the first issue. My name is Matty. And now the the terrible Nightcrawler accent is gone. So my name is Matty. You guys can find me over on Instagram at the Basely Covetous Man and over on Twitter at Basely Covetous. I'm Kyle. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch at Drantis82, D-R-A-N-T-I-S-82. I'm Nathan. You can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at DazzlerAOA. And I was really deciding if I was going to try to do a bad German accent, and I really decided against it because nobody needs to hear that. I, I got to be honest, the only reason I'm not continuing it is because, A, I don't want to be offensive to anybody who's just like, I'm super German. And also because I don't know that I can say Cy Spurrier in a German accent. So, But neither, <laughs> neither here nor there, we are gathered together today to talk about the one-two punch combination of Cy Spurrier writing and Bob Quinn on art that was the Way of X. And I had a lot of thoughts going into Way of X, and they were kind of all over the place. They were they were really out in the ether. And it was all revolving around the manner in which Nightcrawler would put together this theistic religion around Hickman's era of X-Men. But I, I couldn't find the pathos. I, I couldn't find the emotional through line that would get me there. And I feel like there was so much in this issue to latch onto. There were so many beats there were so many fantastic moments. I have an outright favorite. Nathan, I know you've got a couple of favorites. Kyle, I guess I just don't know you at all. Because um, oh. I, I, don't, I don't know in this instance, and I feel like oh. it's breaking my heart. It's breaking oh. my heart. If I don't know your feelings about Way of X, is this real? You know what I mean? So I think I'm going to push to Kyle first, because now I must know your heart and soul. 
Okay. Talk to me about your feelings on Way of X. Oh boy, it was a roller coaster. I think I've made my feelings clear about stuff regarding the Crucible and how the mutants kind of revere the act of dying in order to bring back the depowered mutants' abilities. I find it very uncomfortable. And the whole part focusing on Pixie and her death elicited the very same feelings about it. It had me squeamish. The fact that she pretty much just walked up to a soldier and allowed him to shoot her head off was just like, oh god. And then on the other side of things, I was in love with Dr. Nemesis. (laughs) Oh, yes. His way of responding to everything on Krakoa and evolving hallucinogenic fungi on his head (laughs) and, and kind of acting as a guide to Kurt was just a really great time spent with him i haven't really had a lot of experience with dr nemesis so seeing him in this role was it it was really nice it was good hell yeah i like that i like all of it i like dr nemesis and i like you nathan how are you (laughs) i like you too yes and now and now the episode's done guys this this was a whole ruse to get kyle to tell me that he liked me um, but okay, no. In the in the in the interest of keeping the charade going, Nathan, please talk to me about some wow. of your favorite wow. moments. Oh, listen, I, I I did this. I did this. I arranged this whole episode today to boost my ego. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm saying it's nothing against anybody. <coughs> There was so much that I loved in it from the opening page where Xavier is waking up naked and calling for Nightcrawler. I mean, I was like, that's not homoerotic at all to the Green Lagoon where you've got Nightcrawler and Blob and Colossus and Marvel and you actually get to see my Dazzler for like a hot second to the science division that Dr. Nemesis proposes where he has basically every seat of the science corps except for the law and ethics is vacant. Yes, yes. (laughs) I got such a hearty laugh out of that. It was ridiculous. And I read through them all because I was like, if I don't read through every single listing, there's going to be one that's like secretly not Dr. Nemesis. I'm going to miss it. It's going to be blown wide open in the episode. I'm going to be calling my pants down. But (laughs) laws and ethics being the only role that he wasn't able to fulfill of like 18 freaking roles. Hysterical. Don't forget where he says, shut up, Sinister. You don't have a monopoly on this. Stick to your dreary eugenics and leave the genomic adventuring to a professional. Yes, oh, yes. It's so good. Oh, it's always good to see Sinister Shade thrown in there. <laughs> and we even get to see more of Exodus scaring children by the campfire, too. This issue has it all. The big reveal at the end, I didn't actually see that one coming. I was, hmm, who's this patchwork man going to be? But it's Legion. Oh, man. That was such a great one, too. The actual reveal that Legion is the patchwork man. We felt it coming a couple of pages before because of the the implicit subtext of the conversation between Professor X and Nightcrawler. But even though you knew it was coming, there still was something so incredible about seeing David just in his full manic glory in that last page. Just really, ah. And he's hanging out at Ruth's gravestone. I was Uh, like, oh. uh, That 
that whole storyline where she killed herself back in was that rosenberg's yeah rosenkan yeah yeah that was a brutal thing to read and seeing them address that now and also bring david in where he's been missing since age of x-man we're seeing so much stuff coming together again and that's exciting yeah i thought they weren't going to ever address why ruth actually killed herself i thought they were going to say oh she saw some bad stuff coming before krakoa the fact that they're actually going to go back and revisit that kind of gives me some hope for that whole Rosenberg uncanny period that had some mixed results. It's so funny. I am probably the least familiar with that era of the three of us, but I'm still here after a first issue, just like knowing that it is an obvious thread that needs to be tugged on. And I would definitely love to see some resolution to it. If I had to pick some favorite moments, I think, and I'm going to pick one that's going to make Kyle cringe because he already brought it up. And I definitely understand the aversion to it, but Pixie's death. Something about Pixie's death was so uncomfortably tangible. And it took a moment, like I actually like, I kind of gasped a little, like I lost a little air because it was such an overtly gruesome and brutal act. Now, granted, we are all reading the current books. We are all caught up on X-Force. We've seen Quentin Quire die 17 different ways in 18 different issues. But even knowing that the resurrection protocols are in place, even understanding that death is not the end, there was something more over than the act of the killing itself. There was something about the nonchalance with which she offered herself up and put her in that position as a young girl, that absolute vulnerability of putting yourself in the position to lose your life, and the candor with which it was handled, the way that there wasn't a single lasting emotional impact on anyone else on the team because they were like, it's fine. She's coming back. It's totally cool. I think that for no other reason being the the catalyst, the impetus for, for the emotional thesis behind Nightcrawler's establishment of the way of X was more than enough for me in a single moment. If I had to pick a second, I would say it's Dr. Nemesis, the everything about Dr. Nemesis, because frankly, someone who isn't me likes psychedelic mushrooms, mainly because he his character design is fantastic. The evolution of his character, he even goes as far as to say, and in this moment, I'm truly hoping I still have it um, available when Nightcrawler, you know, asks him what, what he's doing to himself. And he says, you know, growing consciousness, altering psychedelics out of my own cerebellum. Yes, it seemed the obvious step. So in line with Nemesis's character to just say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go grow mushrooms out of my head. That is furthering my commitment and my journey into science. What a bold move. I get nervous when I have to pull off a new haircut, let alone like actual <laughs> living fungi growing out of my head in place of hair. So those were mine. Since we are all touching on this a little bit, and this is just a brief interlude, I do want to do a quick round robin to take us out of this. I would love to know your biggest want, hope, or fear for Way of X. I would say my biggest want, I will probably never get, but I want Amanda Sefton to come back in Interactive Nightcrawler. I know mm. that has nothing to do with the whole book, but I just I want to see it. I love Amanda Sefton. Mm, yes. Love it. <laughs> 
Kyle, biggest want, fear, or concern? My concern is that the disrespect for life that the mutants have will continue to grow and get stronger, despite Kurt's efforts to make them realize that dying is a big thing. Hmm. Does that make sense? Uh, No, for sure. Absolutely. I would say, I don't know necessarily if it's a want or a fear or if it's both or it's neither a concern that i have not for the trajectory of the book not not for size ability to execute the book but a concern that i have for the establishment of a mutant religion is the equal and opposite reaction i'm wondering if we're going to see a cloistered fringe group of violence and and crucible and death protocol enthusiasts you know rail against the ways of the way of x because people have such an intensely strong reaction positively or negatively to organized religion with no seeming middle ground. I am just curious to see if this is what disrupts harmony on the island. Speaking of that, it seems that there is a dissonance between the way the older heroes like Nightcrawler and Storm react to death and the younger heroes um, like Pixie and DJ and the lot. Older heroes seem to have that more of that reverence for life, even though they can be resurrected. They don't want to give up the life that they have that quickly, whereas the younger heroes are like, who cares? I'll be back tomorrow. And and really, Cy Spurrier did such an excellent job of making, without having to paint both sides of the coin, without having to give a voice to the elder opposition, you know, that is more in line with Nightcrawler's ideologies regarding death and the, the sanctity thereof. It was still so clear and so present in the cadence with which Cy Spurrier wrote the Younger Mutants in this issue. And if nothing else, my want is for him and Bob Quinn to just keep doing the damn thing. Hey everybody, Nico here again. Now in this next segment, Josh Arturo, Nathan, and Drew talk about the most recent issue of Wolverine. Now Ben Percy has his hands in so many X titles, and it's so incredible to see his storyline unfold that the team finds themselves wondering when he's going to get a chance to return to some characters who have since been announced to be coming back. So those of you who catch the conversation about Solemn, we do know that since this was recorded, there has been new information about the character's return. So everybody, enjoy this next segment and know that the X office seems to have heard us in advance. Welcome back to X is for podcast. This week, we're talking about Wolverine number 11, Legacy Issue 353, written by the sexy lumberjack himself, Benjamin Percy, with pencils by Scott Eaton, inks by J.P. Mayer, colors by Matthew Wilson, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Vampires think they deserve a Krakoa too, and the key is apparently drinking Wolverine's blood so they can daywalk, and Omega Red, and stuff. It's vampires. <laughs> I per like every vampire issue of every Marvel comic should just have Dazzler like blasting the fuck out of them, and that's the end of the issue. So, in the spirit of that, uh, I have invited our good friend and Dazzlerologist Nathan to join us today. Nathan, say hi and tell us where you're from. Hey, what's up, everybody? You can find me at Dazzler AOA on Twitter and Instagram. And yes, I will definitely be lamenting the lack of a UV light creating mutant in this issue. Hey, I'm Drew. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drewcifer3. 
And I'm Arturo. You can find me at Mr. Toy Box. And as is, I'm Josh Wheel. And as always, you can find me at Asleep at the Wheel, W E I L, on Twitter and Asleep at the Wheel.com. And for the next two years, as the Progressive Democrat running for U.S. Senate in the state of Florida, you can find me at Wheel, the number four U.S. Senate across social media, and at JoshWheel.org. So there is there is a lot to talk about in this issue. Um, I actually, as we kind of get started here, I will tell you that rereading it, kind of get ready for the podcast, made me go back, and I actually found it really helpful to reread Wolverine issue one. If, if you remember, Wolverine issue one was actually a double issue. It had like the first issue of the uh, Big Lebowski Pale Lady arc, and it had the first issue of the Vampire arc that got picked back up in numbers four and five. And um, I had had forgotten that that was the first appearance of Louise and the Night Watch. I knew we had seen them before and I, I couldn't remember how far back they went and when I looked it up, they were created in Wolverine 1 by uh, Percy Bogdanovich. Um, we also get the first allusions to like explicitly on page that Dracula wants to be the Charles Xavier of the vampire nation um, and, and a lot of kind of the, the vampire world building that we're seeing picked up in this issue. Um, positive notes for me, I really liked the uh, horror comic aesthetic that the book opened up with. I thought that the the panels, the layout, and the exposition it was uh, reminiscent of uh, like a, a something is killing the children or some um, other kind of good horror comic. It had that good horror comic aesthetic, um, nicely done for for setting the story, establishing the story. Drew, how did you feel about Wolverine Eleven? Um, to me, this was like an all right issue. I to me, nothing. Really- really happened in the in it like it was it was kind of just um reintroducing you back into vampire stuff uh, and getting you know like you said from that from those past issues and that coming back to it yeah but yeah so you know we're getting wolverine here and it's kind of hard to believe that we're only on issue 11 of this series the breakaway from standard five to six issue stories makes it feel like a lot more has happened we've already had the arc um with the pale lady we've had a vampire's arc we had an x of swords arc with solemn we had a three issue arc with Maverick. And now we're back on this. We're at our first kind of revisit. But, you know, in 10 issues, we've gone through four arcs, essentially, mini arcs, which is quite a bit of pace. I mean, you know, in your previously built for trade kind of Marvel style of pacing, this would have taken, you know, two years and 25 issues to cover all of that. Unfortunately, of all four of those arcs, Vampires is the one I am least excited to return to. No, table for two, because (laughs) I can't stand vampires in my mutant stories it's just i don't know i mean a part of me is kind of like okay well kudos for per to percy for building something bigger than just you know a fight with vampires like he's doing something here um and i appreciate that and i and i appreciate that it's threading from wolverine to x-force and back like i dig that i guess but why vampires you know and if we've got vampires then why doesn't wolverine call up you know elsa bloodstone and and blade for some assistance i don't know like just i don't i don't know what is going on here with with vampires. all of those Ooh, things i have you just all- gave me the best idea for a vampire hunting team so oh my god <laughs> i won't kick it to nathan in just a second but I-, I have all of those things arturo just said in my notes here like why is this connected to x-force why is this black ops why is wolverine alone like why can't all the mutants just go out and kill all the vampires like this doesn't break any krakoan laws and uh humans would be super grateful like this 
would be a good thing. Why is it like Wolverine has to do this by himself in the shadows? No one else can be involved and X-Force has to help to keep it secret. Like, I, I don't get any of that. Like, go get Dazzler and light blast the fuck out of them. Yeah, right, Nathan? Dazzler, yeah. Sunfire. Yeah, I get a little team. For real. Together. Like, you put, like, like you said, Blade, Elsa Bloodstone, put Dazzler on the team. You know, I think Jubilee probably has some payback she deserves to give to some vampires to put her on the team just so she can kick some vampire ass. But, like, why does he have to do this by himself? I agree with all of you guys on that. Um, although I do have to say, this was probably, like, I I know I'm alone here. This is probably my favorite issue so far of Wolverine. I think it's all starting to come together. The Percy is the writer of Wolverine, and it's it's gelling really well. It just maybe they didn't love all the choices in the story, but yeah. So yeah, there's there's story and there's art here. Um, I do find it very interesting. So you know, because as I, I set up notes for the, this episode, right? Um, it really stood out to me when I'm going over the credits that this issue had a separate pencil and inker, which is something that rarely happens in the Krakoa era. The X office has. M- more than any other kind of era or or team uh, group kind of, of comics that I can think of has had single artists doing pencils and inks um, on nearly every issue. We usually, like when we introduce these, we go writer, artist, colors, letterers. Um, and I don't know if, you know, having that split with, you know, Eaton and Mayer on pencils and inks is taking something away from it or if it's just that, you know, the, the art core in the X office is so deep but as the lines expanding like something's going to get stretched but I felt like this was one of the weakest art issues we've seen in a while too and and maybe that was maybe that was also responsible for you know, some of my uh, lack of enthusiasm over this um, this particular issue of comic well one <sighs> one place where the art absolutely shines and it's my favorite piece of this whole issue is the cover art by Adam Kubert is absolutely gorgeous with with Dracula in the background and and Omega Red and Wolverine in a scrap and just it's beautiful uh, but I agree the art in the interior is a little I mean it's fine it's totally serviceable you know it, it gets the job done but there's just nothing gripping about it that's exactly what I was gonna say is that it I don't find I don't think the art is bad at all there's just nothing of like really I don't think noteworthy of it it's just yep you it's very me. flat See, um, here's where the art, like, to me, like, it looks, reminds me of, especially now that they're doing the recolored deluxe editions, um, it reminds me of, like, the recolored deluxe editions of The Walking Dead they have coming out now. It's very, in that same sort of style, it's very, like, stylistic, that, um, and, and it might just be because I think they burned down Herschel's farm in this issue, but um, it's really got a lot of those pieces to it. It's interesting you say that, because The Walking Dead art is also very flat, but that that's part of their black and white style. Um, this, I guess, in terms of like being in Krakoa, a lot of the the kind of flat colors and shades um, makes the faces and shading feel a little off, for, I guess, from what we're used to. You know, like when you look at things that are in shadow or shades, they're literally just flat, full black colored in. There is no depth or gradation. Um, and it, it makes the faces and features around like the lips and the nose where you normally get things like that just not feel like what we've expected. And you know what? Maybe on any other line of comics, I wouldn't even notice this. But man, the X-Office, 
Harris has set the bar. They've spoiled us. That's the problem. They've <laughs> set the bar so high with so much amazing art across the line that, you know, when you give me a serviceable or maybe even a little bit above average issue, I'm like, what's this above average crap? Like you've been giving me, <laughs> you've been giving me Joshua Kassara and RB Silva and Pepe Larraz and Phil Noto. And, you know, what's this above average stuff? It's like when the straight A student gets a B and you're like, wait, what the fuck? Rounded. <laughs> but then the D student gets a B and you're like, oh my God, yay. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I mean, I'm not a fan of Bogdanovich, you know, so like, I, I guess we're going to go through a little bit of growing pains as we move on to a different art team. That's um, true. But yeah, it's, it's just okay. I didn't have as much a problem with Bogdanovich's like composition as much as I did the fact that he was clearly unsynchronized in, in a book that is very much world shared world with other comics he was clearly not aware of what other things look like in that shared world <laughs> um that was my biggest problem with bogdanovich i don't think his actual like figures and composition um were as distracting um, or or it took me off and, and again like it's it's just yeah if you were to put this in with you know compare it to you know some of those other comics like you mentioned like the walking dead it fits in that style is is more reminiscent i can even think of some other um you know, there's definitely a bunch of other Marvel titles coming out right now that this art is ahead of. Um, just, just not the X book because we are we are spoiled, spoiled, bougie ass bitches at this point. <laughs> so true, true. I was happy. I, I, okay, I got. I have something positive to say. I was happy to see Omega Red back on panel, getting some some FaceTime. I kind of am struggling to get where he's at uh, because it felt like he had been uh, brain washed or whatever by dracula at some point but at, in this issue i'm like well, i don't think he's acting you know he's he's just doing what he wants to do like he he doesn't it doesn't seem like he has any interest in being part of Rokoa. and that yeah, just my... makes sense to me oh no like... he's like the pete wisdom of villains so my <laughs> recollection on this is that because i think it happened in x force i want to say is that they killed him and resurrected him um they resurrected him with his like mind backed up before they captured and interrogated him yes right. and so so like that stuff happened so like he's behind where like his story is in terms of his memory like he's at around like issue four or five of wolverine like he's pre-x of swords memory and like the other stuff that happened with him after that is you know, everyone else knows but he doesn't so is he working for dracula because dracula got him the carbonadium synthesizer i guess that's what i don't get. i think he just is, wants like, to fuck shit up yeah is he just being a mercenary here like well he, he says like the mutants all hate and fear him on krakoa so maybe that's why he, he doesn't feel he fits in does he just want to kill Wolverine? <gasps> yeah, probably. Alright, well, so we've got you know, we've got Omega Red and Dracula. We've got Wolverine scaring the children on Krakoa. Uh, not Wolverine scaring children. Omega Red scaring the children <laughs> on Krakoa. Someone is scaring the children. And then we've got Louise and the Night Watch. And the the reverse Buffy Wolverine's gonna let her feed off of him thing. How do you feel about that part of our story? The Louise situation? The Louise situation. Yes. Louise situation. Oh. How do you solve a problem like Louise? I, I totally forgot about this section. Like or like <laughs> not not this sec not this section. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Restart. But 
I totally forgot about her, like who she was, um, just because like we had that like literally. I guess you know it probably was because the the first issue came out right before COVID, right? So we we read the first issue, and then there was like that four month break of nothing, right? Uh, because I literally... and for me the vampire one was the less memorable. Like I was really because ex- it was a double issue, and I was mm-hmm. much more yeah. excited about the the is it pale girl or pale lady? I want to give her the proper amount of female respect. The um the pale lady um yeah pale, pale lady. lady pale lady um the pale lady story in the first part for me was much more exciting and so yeah i did have to go back and reread wolverine one to to get uh kind of refresh our backstory on louise and then i guess it's, it's almost i don't want to say disappointing but like we didn't get a lot of like we had no real attachment or growth or development with louise it was like she was introduced then we forgot about her and then she comes back now she's but like there's no stakes in that because no pun intended because <laughs> <laughs> like we had forgotten about her <laughs> exactly yeah, I, it's like who, yeah who cares and then okay i one thing i do want to call out on the art is the page where we find out louise has been turned is actually hilarious <laughs> this old oh with the old lady where she's like gonna old, like old lady trips she falls and somehow she's bleeding from her hand and then you know from one panel to the next louise's face just turns like she's got this big grin with like vampire teeth and it's like I guess that's and then I like how she's like je suis désolé and then I start je suis désolé with like the really weird big lips and like yeah it's really like, funny like come yeah. on like white women don't have that <laughs> <laughs> but no that um, that every time I look at that page I start busting out in the song sorry by Madonna I'm like because you know she goes like je suis désolé but yeah anyway sorry go. the soundtrack to Wolverine Eleven. <laughs> And then why do they keep white? Like, why do they translate the first one in French on that page? And then she's like, Merci beaucoup. And she's like, You are too kind. And then she's like, I'm sorry. It's all in French. I'm like, Good thing I know enough. Yeah, it doesn't even need to. I, I'm glad. I like when they use other languages. Um, I'm a big fan of that in movies and comics. Like, don't you don't have to make everyone. It's not like Tom Cruise movies where, like, everyone in every country just speaks English without an accent. Um, like, <laughs> you can use other languages. And he didn't know, he didn't know how to. He didn't know how to translate let me help you now, but he knew Merci beaucoup and vous êtes très gentil. Je suis désolé. Okay, and so like why isn't this lady afraid of this woman before she even shows that she's a vampire who's got grenades on her belt? Like she's got <laughs> grenades on her belt straight up. And this little woman's like, Oh, you're too kind and she turns into it. She's like vampire and then she's like, Oh my god, I've gotta run. And, and, then, and spiked uh, knee pads. Also, one question that I was like when I was reading this is like what is even like what even happened? Like what is ha- like I didn't really understand what was happening between the panels. Like, did she bite her or or not? Because no, she doesn't have blood on her. She wanted she to. Was tempted. Yeah, she was happy. But then why yeah, did she I'm say assuming... sorry? Like, sorry because for... she wanted to. <laughs> but the lady... I don't know. The lady didn't know. How would the lady know that? That's why the lady's looking back at her like, what just happened uh, here? Yeah, <laughs> you were very kind. Je suis désolé! Je suis désolé! Alright, that is definitely my favorite line of the whole issue. <laughs> That's <laughs> how she said it, too. toned in on it. <laughs> she said it exactly like that. Look on her face. 
Yeah, it's uh, and I agree with what Josh was saying before, though that we there we there are no stakes here because we it's not like we have any attachment to this character. So her now suddenly being a vampire is like okay, you you know you just kind of accept that like, but you just don't care. I just I don't know who's asking for more vampire stories, but whoever it is, I would like them to stop. I would really like I I thought <laughs> like I want I would like some more Maverick. I mean I you know you knew going solemn that this solemn is, solemn. Yeah. 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 That was supposed to be his new arch nemesis. Yeah. Ah. yeah. Uh-huh. Hell, I, I'm, I'm, so, I'm shocked that I'm even going to say this. Give me I want a bisexual Romulus. enemies with benefits. $6 oh, no. you hate vampires so much you want Romulus back. Yes, that's it's a measure <laughs> of how much I don't want a vampire story. Well, that that's I, what I was. That's what I was saying in the green room. Is that like out of all of like not even the X Men Rogues Gallery, even just like Wolverine's Rogues Gallery, there's so many things you could play with, especially now. That we have like a, a new yeah. status quo. So like Paradigm. the solemn stuff. I like you, you like you set that up. They set that up in the advertising as him being his new greatest villain or whatever. Yep. They did, but we haven't seen him since. Like I thought and he's got a dragon. I know. Yeah. Oh my god. And I thought that after like X of Swords, we would have like that kind of would have led into that arc. But we haven't seen anyone other than Bay. We have not. Bay is the it's only. Let's go. We saw for like one minute. We saw Iska? I thought we just heard her. Like, I, someone said, like, Sinister was like, you know, Iska's around. No, no she was, uh, with when... Xavier and, and Magneto. Yeah, when they yeah. dropped off, when the married couple drop off the flower at their house, they're like... <laughs> Bert and Ernie. I know. <laughs> bringing you but, flowers. But another thing, too, is um, Solemn doesn't really... He's not with the Arakans, right? Like, he, he's... Oh, no. They he might be in Otherworld. Yeah, I think he's in Otherworld flying around on a dragon. Yeah. Well, hopefully he'll come back. I mean, if I had a choice, though, I'd probably fly around on a dragon in Otherworld. Maybe that's, that's just me. <laughs> what if he comes through the gate on the dragon and the dragon turns into a human baby? Oh! <gasps> <laughs> Perfect. I mean, Shogo. Right. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm sick of the vampires, but I am not asking for more Shogo the dragon. Okay. So, well, so, so Arturo, so there's a line you have, right? Aside here. from so Arturo, aside from Romulus, what would you like to see? What type of Wolverine stories would you like to see? You know, I'm a simple man. Give me, give me some Lady Deathstrike drama. Ooh. I love Deathstrike. I love her. She's we haven't seen her at all in a very long time. The last time I remember seeing her was like I think like the Messiah War and Complex stuff, and she was running around with the purifiers, and I don't know what happened to her after that but that's like a great rival for Wolverine that's somebody who would have no interest in you know in, in a, a world with Rakoa like she would be actively working with uh, Orcus or the Purifiers or whoever some you know racist dickheads and <laughs> just making life more complicated for Wolverine like that I, I mean and is that something new and fresh and innovative no but like I would love to see some Deathstrike so since the Messiah ones, she was in that um uh those Weapon X series. She wasn't in those um in 2017, 2018. Yeah, oh, it was like the team with Warpath and Domino and stuff. And, yeah. Oh really? Huh. Yeah. It was kind of a fun run. She was in Hunt for Wolverine, Claws of a Killer. She was in that yeah, was that, that Weapon X series with, went for with seven issues. And this month, I believe it's this month, this month or last month, one of these months, she was in uh 
the first issue of the new Legend of Shang-Chi series. Oh, by Alyssa Wong. I did not realize she was in that. I have to pick that up now. I love some Lady Deathstrike. I have not read that, so I just learned that right. Do you guys remember this character? What was his name? I think it was Cyber. Yes. And he had Adam and Tio. Comic Presents. Yeah. Yeah, and the viruses. Like he gave me like virus fingernails. Yeah. Like, virus fingernails like, love it. where is that guy you know like he you know that that might be fun i don't know like just dig up some some old chestnuts like that so i know i know what my answer is aside from obviously wanting enemies benefits with solemn like, uh, yes. and in fact you know what like percy has so much potential with wolverine he's done so many things i love with the character and then some other things that i question i have no problem with percy continue like but i would love to see if we're gonna do a wolverine solemn let steve orlando write that give it Ooh. Oh, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his commanders yeah. in crisis you know, is beautiful. We we don't need a hetero writing that story. No. Um, but so Nathan, what do you want to see Wolverine? What do you want to see out of Wolverine over the next? Uh, you know what I really want to see, and I know it's kind of like a rehash of the past, but we like we know he knows she's alive again. But I, I want to see a story where Wolverine and Silver Samurai, yeah, go ahead and add Sunfire and Yukio, and they all go meet up with Mariko, and there's some kind of weird. Um, um, hand drama that they have to overcome because we really haven't seen on panel Wolverine and Mariko since she's been resurrected although we know she exists because in Ten of Swords they did mention she he had to go visit her to see if she knew where the sword was yeah okay so yeah that's, that's a good answer. and I would say that, that that was probably a little foreshadowing for something that, that will come up so that's I good. hope so mm-hmm. mine is also kind of uh, Ten of Swords adjacent in that I would really like to see Wolverine in the pages of this comic Wolverine the um, the new baby Gorgon and Wolverine kind of help him, you know, reestablish or, you know, rediscover himself um, in his post other world resurrection. Ooh. Yeah, because we haven't really seen much of him except for the fact that we're, everybody's like, oh, he's definitely not the same anymore. Yeah, haven't we not even seen him? He's just been talked about. Yep. And, yeah, I think. And Dawn of X and X of Swords made me love Gorgon so much. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see Gorgon, right? Because, like, we got him. He's back, but a different version of him right yeah yeah he's not like yeah, rock side but we haven't even seen the resurrected gorgon nope. no no which is crazy to me like i know we know that uh rocks what it's done to rock slide and it brought him you know back to like the mentality of a child basically and he looks all you know rough and and, and, and craggy but i i would love to see gorgon like what happened you know <laughs> Hey guys, Nico here one last time. Now, as always, I love when Rod, Raven, and Robbie bring on another voice, and in this next segment, they have Evelyn come on, and the crew talks about one of Marvel's most beloved properties, Runaways. The Runaways have been around for a number of years, and they were one of the first books that I ever bought myself when I decided to get into comics when I was about 17 years old, 16 years old. So the Runaways are a special title for me. Man, did I just age myself on air. But this look at this first arc really got me excited again about why I love not just the Runaways as a concept, but the Roel Anka run, which has been so tremendous since day one. And it's definitely something that if you're a fan of mutants and you're a fan of 
that sense of found family togetherness that the X-Men represents is something you want to be checking out. Now, if you like what you're checking out on this show, you might like what you see on our other social media platforms. So don't forget to look us up on YouTube, Patreon, and Twitter, and hit subscribe. You can drop us a review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it, if you're so inclined to tell the world how much you like us. Guys, this is such a pleasure to make. Twice a week, every week, hey, with some bonus episodes. We've got some incredible new features coming up, some wonderful interviews, and some fan spotlights that we cannot wait to bring to you guys. So keep a sharp ear tuned to what's going on over on our social media channels. As always, keep those mutant lights lit. Keep those Krakoan gateways open. Enjoy this last segment, and we'll see you guys. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next segment of X is for a Podcast. My name is Rod. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Rod, the. And today we have with us the sensational Raven. Hello, my name is Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento, D-A-M-E-R-E-D-B-E-N-T-O. Go ahead and find me on Twitter. You can also see me over on Twitch. I'm starting to run some fish cam streams, so it's going to be really fun. Um, and with us today, we also have Robbie. Hey, everyone. I'm Robbie, and you can find me at Age of Polaris. And also with us, we have the amazing Evelyn. Hi, I'm Evelyn, the Comic Canary. Mm-hmm. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at comic underscore canary. And of course, we have Back to Rod. Six issues of oh, <laughs> Runaway. I was like, <laughs> what? I'm sorry. You're right. <laughs> I don't know. You're good. See, I told you my brain is not. You want me to take today, that again? It is all good. I don't know. You're good. He, oh, Nico, we'll just give Nico more work to do. Um, so today we are talking about the Runaways, <laughs> the first six issues of this series that is still going on. Um, the head writer is Rainbow Rao. The artist at the first six issues is Chris Anka, and the colorist is Matthew Wilson. The letter is VC Joe's Kamanya. And yeah, the Runaways. This is the first introduction back of the Runaways. We haven't seen them. I mean, when it started in 2017 before that we haven't seen them in a while i mean they weren't together anymore Uh, one of them you know was dead (laughs) at the moment and they all went their separate ways i mean nico was in avengers academy carolina you know was going to college now and we don't even know where chase was at the moment i mean he wasn't in any kind of books after that no so he was just kind of out in there so yeah this is i i really liked this first six issues this first arc it was basically reinducing all the characters showing them you know what their lives have been kind of empty without each other because they're each other's family and then the end of the arc is like them coming back together and then showing that they really need each other because they're family so it's kind of sweet it's all about it was all about chosen family it felt like to me so instead of okay yeah this is you know all your blood relatives well all of their blood relatives are kind of holy douchey (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or you know super villains or no longer alive so yeah i mean it 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 was a lot it was a lot that they were going through and a lot that they were dealing with because their families were basically super villains yeah. who were like trying to just they were looking for power but it was the kind of power that could have ended a world so exactly yeah <laughs> I feel like the Runaways has always been like an allegory for, you know, you pick your own family. You know, even yeah. if your family doesn't like you or is evil or really mean, <laughs> you don't, they don't have to, you don't have to stay with them. You can find your own mm-hmm. family and your friends or what have you. Um, mm-hmm. I do want to ask like everyone's like experience with the Runaways. I want to start with you, Robbie. What is your experience with the Runaways? Well, uh, Runaways really hits home with me a lot because um, even though like growing up, I like like X-Men here and there and stuff. 
Runaways is actually the series. I came across it when I was like, I don't know, Googling some character shit when I was like 13. And I just came, I was instantly fascinated by like reading a bunch of the characters. So I actually went and started buying the comics and those were for real, like the first comics I ever bought. And mm-hmm. ever since then, it's been like, you know, like this team is what started me actually reading comics all the time. So it holds a really close special uh place for me (laughs) oh i did not know that that is super special awesome it's like a whole like um full circle because now you're talking about like the first new arc of it Mm -hmm. arc first arc of the new series that happened (laughs) what about you evelyn what's your experience with the runaways so anyone who knows me give me um a group of teenagers with angst and like that's my shit (laughs) um i definitely like i'm surprised it took me so long to find out about them because i was a hardcore young avengers fan and like a crazy teen titans fan and young justice and all that so it wasn't until college that I actually saw the runaways like around like 2012 2013 is when I really discovered it and when I did I'm like how did I not find this before I loved it it was it was Mm -hmm. definitely I took a break from comics in college for like various reasons but that was one of the things that brought me back into comics actually in college was discovering the runaways as well as some other marvel titles got me back into comics in college nice that's really amazing like two of you already have said that the runaways has it brought you back into comics or kind of introduced you to comics and honestly i wouldn't have like me and my brain i wouldn't have thought that that the runaways is a popular book i mean it's popular enough to even get a, a netflix tv show obviously mm-hmm. um but to me i would have been like for the runaways to really introduce people or get them back into comics is such a shocking thing for me but i love that because that means every book matters and that every book has an audience you know mm-hmm. but what about you raven what's your experience with the runaways well mostly my experience with the runaways was actually from the tv show show um i know that i had you know heard of the runaways um i was a little bit more fantasy a little more gritty and dark when i was reading comic books i still kind of am but i saw runaways as being a little bit more you know slice of life kind of thing but then i actually sat and watched the tv show and i was honestly kind of impressed with how well they did portraying kids in just really bad decision situations like there is no easy way about what they have to do or what they're doing but like it felt like yeah it felt like kids teenagers making decisions not a bunch of adults writing a script for teenagers to make a decision so i found it very interesting and it walked this really weird balance between slice of life and like budding superhero type group and i really liked that there was that angst and that struggle because honestly if it comes down to it if you were suddenly a teenager with superpowers or uh you know futuristic weapons and whatnot yeah it'd be a little bit of a rough road starting out so i found it interesting in that way and that really kind of endeared them to me nice nice i mean i feel like that's honestly everyone's way with the runaways it's not like your i mean it could be your all-time favorite book but it's not like Mm -hmm. your usual go-to book but it's a book that you're like yeah i really loved it it was close Mm -hmm. to my heart it's not one i always mention but it's one that i always have a good time reading yeah Mm -hmm. no 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like Rainbow Rowell did a good job of bringing that kind of magic back yeah. that the original Runaways had and kind of even like thrusting it into like uh, the modern age for the mm-hmm. most part, you know, because it was more, I mean, they're, they're, they're older now. They're not as kids. I mean, Gert is still uh, 17, but everyone else is like mid, like early 20s mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of growing up, trying not to be children anymore, but then still have those habits because they're mid- early 20s. So you're going mm-hmm. to. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I, I mean, what did everyone think of this first arc the first one through six issues i feel like they were pretty well done honestly i think it was well done uh sometimes i felt like mildly slightly lost because i hadn't read some of the 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 other comic books that had been mentioned in this run and they're like but at least oh and i love that they did this at least they gave me uh references of from what comic book it was if i want to i can go back i can find that comic book i can read it and get more context so, so thank you for notes. that but yeah like oh, i love editor notes so much because i'm there are times that i'm like eh, i don't really want to go back and read that backstory it, it, it doesn't really do anything for me but like some of them you're like oh that sounds like that could be really interesting i want to go back and read that mm-hmm. arc where do i start there's a good jump off point with the editor's notes but yeah no it, it it was it was wonderful i thought they did a really they did a good job at this and and they kept the feel of you know the runaways I think as they were intended to be. So I I was impressed. It can't be easy to like pick a story back up and keep running with it. So I, I applaud them. They did good. They did really good. Rainbow Rowell brought Gert back. You know, the Gert that died in that moment and like had her do Nico and them do like crazy magic mm-hmm. surgery on her to bring her back. That right doesn't really make sense, but it's comic books and I loved it. So I it's fine. But I couldn't get enough of this because obviously like I'm a huge Nico oh, yeah. fan. I named like I named a chameleon after her. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> love her. Love it. And, Fitting. And just the creativity that has to happen in the heat of the moment moment of a literal emergency just trying to figure out when she does she still doesn't know how her magic works at this point and it was just Mm-mm. so well done because I love flawed characters I do like it, it makes it more real to me and it's something I can connect with more so seeing the struggle seeing them like they can't be perfect and be all powerful and know exactly what they're doing cough Superman cough so mm-hmm. it just <laughs> It, I just I love it. It, it was just <laughs> that beginning. I forgot that was how it began too. I was I was pleasantly surprised to read it again because it's been a minute. And I just I thought the beginning, it just it literally jumps to the action and really gets it started. And I just appreciated it. Yeah, I feel like they do a good way, or Rainbow Rod does a good way of really jumping into it. It makes with Chris Anka's art. It's just it's a beautiful send-off to start you off. Like this is how the book's gonna be. It's gonna be a lot of hijinks, it's gonna be magic and disaster but they're gonna get it done their own way and it's gonna be fantastic um i was gonna say though do y'all we all love gert and mm. it, and it's, she's written very well in this series and i wouldn't want her not in this series but when you're first reading this do you feel like were you thinking it was probably a good idea that she was brought back or do you think that maybe you know that wasn't such a great idea because i feel like when i first read it i was like wait why are we doing the timey-wimey stuff and i was like oh i don't know i don't see how this is going obviously it landed in the right spot we know that but what did you what was your first impressions i remember when i originally read this i too was also like thrown off by it because i really was unsure like about the execution for it 
but I definitely agree that it was probably the smartest decision of how Raul could start the, the new series off. Mm-hmm. Because to be honest, even though they did have some good stories after she had died, the team really, quite honestly, was never the same. Because mm-hmm. like in that second series, the remainder of those issues... They were all still, like, mourning her. Mm. And you could tell that a lot of them, like, even though they all went their separate ways later on, they never really got over that, and they never really um, were able to heal from that. So it was a really good way by having, um, to bring a team back, it would still have that that little hole in it, Mm. I would say. So it was a smart decision. I definitely agree. I I think I'm there with you guys. Like, I honestly questioned not knowing anything but i question like oh you're you're bringing somebody back with uh i'm a time traveler okay (laughs) i'm not quite sure but i love the fact that they very quickly even had gert question that like they had the character they bring back like why why would you mess with time stream like you don't even know what you're doing you're literally just dicking around with time why would you do that what what no just how no and i love the fact that she questioned it as well because that puts her in the in the viewer's place that puts her in our place and gives us that kind of connection point like okay we're both thinking the same thing why and then it gets to actually develop from there so you're like okay we're going on a journey and and now i at least have somebody that i'm on the same wavelength as so it it makes it easier to kind of get into the story that way but yeah i like the fact that they had her question she didn't just go oh my god thank you so much for bringing me back much older boyfriends you're okay we can't date anymore because this is creepy i'm 16 you certainly not so exactly yeah, I mean, I brought that up because obviously, um, not going too much ahead, but just saying that it does get brought up in later issues. So I like that, like, well, what, what was everyone's first reaction to, you know, this thing that gets kind of brought up later? We, they kind of bring it up, they patch it up, they're like, okay, it's fine, but then it gets hit on later, and I'm glad that Rainbow Rowell does that. Um, mm. Kind of like sidestepping to another thing that gets brought up later that I like that Rainbow Rowell did early was uh, with Carolina, mm. you know, kind of having like the social, uh, psychological aspect of her, you know, trying to make herself be happy in a situation where she she knows she wasn't happy and she missed her family but she's like no i'm happy i can i can be a person i can be happy (laughs) well kind of happy with her family it's dysfunctional but you know what did y'all feel about all of that i mean i got it like that's kind of what everyone wants is to just be happy and to find where their happiness is and that's what she thought she had at in that moment that's what what did make her or at least what she thought made her happy Mm -hmm. i feel like that was a good step for the carolina character because i feel like it's she it makes her more identifiable with like Mm -hmm. the readers because i mean Mm -hmm. she is an alien Mm -hmm. you know and it's not like it's not like it's hard to identify with an an alien character you can identify with any character but it definitely Mm -hmm. lets people see them her and and themselves you know Mm -hmm. so makes it relatable and i love it that she actually makes them well not in this i guess hints at it about carolina and nico actually becoming a couple (laughs) (laughs) well you can feel the the tension definitely between the two of them and i mean 
mean, like just Nico's presence there is like, I just, I just want to be happy. And it's like, no girl, you just want to, you want to be able to do something without thinking. You want to, to, to grab on to the facsimile of what everybody tells you happiness is supposed to be instead of like really think, does it actually make you happy? If, if, if it's so easily knocked off its foundation when, you know, Nico walks in the room or when they go, Hey, we're getting the band back together. Like if you're truly happy, you wouldn't have so many reservations sitting there on your table going, Hmm, I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. It's like, are you though? Exactly. Exactly. I, (laughs) I love that. Um, just looking over this book right now, we get so many moments with old lace. I think she's like my favorite person, (laughs) our favorite character. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in this whole thing that because that gets brought back because we get so many moments with her just like it's a dinosaur just out in public and people are like that's a raptor like i would be terrified <laughs> like that's a cool dog that is not a dog well, that's not like, a there's a great scene actually when they're visiting um carolina in college where yeah you know what i'm talking about mm. but, um where yes <laughs> That one, yeah. God just brought yep. it up on the, on the screen. So, um, nope. but this nope. is a. Nope. Uh, <laughs> This is an audio podcast, so I'll describe it. It's where yes. um, they're just there visiting, and Old Lace is just there smiling, and like the per- the person in the room next door in the dorm like walks out, sees Old Lace, Old Lace smiles, and they're just like, "Nope, I'm I'm done. I'm not doing this. Just, I'm gonna peace out." And honestly, same. I had one too many joints <laughs> or one too many late nights for lectures. Yep. Nope. Cannot deal with well, this. Okay. So if okay, so be honest, guys. If you were in a universe like the Marvel universe, where these type of things they're not common, but they're not like unheard of. Like uncommon. you would just be like, "This yeah. is some Avenger shit. I don't want to be part of it, and I don't want to be here when they wreck shit up." And yeah. I would just be like, "Nope, yeah. I, I'm gonna go about my day." <laughs> like. Let me see. My next door doormate lights up like a, a freaking rave every afternoon <laughs> while she's listening to music and acts like nobody can see that shit under the door or right? through a window. <laughs> I walk out to a small group of people who Have they all look like runaway kids for the most part and yeah. a dinosaur with a technological bracelet through its nose. I I I have to go back to lectures. Just I, right. just, I don't need. This. More like, I don't need like, this. I don't I need to go to class today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't leave the dorm. There's literally a dinosaur outside my door. <laughs> but it's just funny to like compare to all the things. Like I don't know. Like what's the scale of like how weird that is? I mean, in the, like, Marvel, in the Marvel universe, universe is, is that like a? That's three? usually a precursor to like half your dorm yeah. going missing or blowing up <laughs> no, or something. Yeah, shit. You're like because like stuff happens at schools all the time. Okay, so, so- <laughs> okay, so I'll. I'll liken it to my university, Old Dominion University. Um, it is in Norfolk, Virginia. If you are aware, Norfolk, Virginia has the largest Navy base in the world. And um, 
back when, um, like, literally, like, the last year of, like, Obama, like, I don't know if you guys remember this, but North Korea went, like, batshit crazy and, like, was threatening to nuke everyone. And, yeah, 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 and so, including the naval base, which was a half mile from my university. So, like, literally, we would just have random closings because if the naval base was closed, the university had to close, and they would, like, scramble the jets and the helicopters, and, like, we would be walking to class and, like we would see the the plane scramble and we're like no i'm not dying for chemistry <laughs> bye that that to me i feel like is wow how i would liken that to our universe yeah Yeah. and i mean i I can see that and you've you've had superheroes showing up now since like the 60s a long ass so so and you've seen plenty of super villains there are entire companies that take care of demo and reconstruction i'm sure when you see some weird shit you're just like Click. this is why i'm not coming to class today (laughs) yeah no every year there's a fucking invasion of our example (laughs) this year is invasion. yeah this year was null last year was plant people like carnage carnage yeah yeah it was yeah plant people and then carnage and then now null like it's just and then even the year before that it was the war of the realms was as guardians invading like the earth does not get a break in the marvel universe right (laughs) and i would just be that person i'm like i i I don't care i just i just want to be with my plant if i didn't have powers i definitely wouldn't care if i had powers i would join in but if i didn't have powers i'm like i'm leaving the dorm there's a dinosaur in here a bomb is probably gonna go off a hero's right. probably gonna come crashing through maybe that might be a scroll i don't know i'm leaving <laughs> instead of grabbing your book bag you're grabbing your bug out bag okay fine it's time to leave can you imagine all the excuses that you could come up with to avoid class like sorry i was holding my homework up and cyclops like burnt it with his visor oh, oh my god <laughs> Iron Man came by and just whooshed by me, and my homework went away. Oh, <laughs> the thing is, how many how many college students would be taking blow torches to half done projects? <laughs> oh my god! See, I got hit by a I laser blaster. Worries now. <laughs> this is brilliant. <laughs> Oh my god! Like, can you imagine oh. being like, "Oh, can it? Uh, can I have an extension on this essay?" Null is like invading the planet right now. And you know those hey. oh my professors god. that are just like, no, there's no excuse. For- I, no. I know at least one professor of mine. That I you won't you should have had this but- done yesterday. Yeah. Why wasn't it right. turned in last night? Right. Like, right. like, you, you, you should have told Null no. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say I was out uh, doing something that put me in harm's way <laughs> aka i'm a fucking superhero i was trying to keep us from be- Ugh, fine right <laughs> i i love i definitely evelyn that i love that idea of maybe being like a five issue art um and being like different writers like Ooh. more than one stories and like different writers each issue it's like three writers each issue and like doing like little mm-hmm. stories like the wolverine one the blood and whatever yeah, yeah that or, would be or, or cool. the one that was uh oh what was it? it was it had blade in it and it had oh yeah 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 i would love I would love to see a bunch of short stories thrown together with, you know, here's this character, but those characters cause some sort of mishap that burns somebody's homework or something. Just like, fuck. I would love that. I'm sorry you were saying. 
I was just saying that's why I love the first couple seasons of S.H.I.E.L.D. because it was the behind the scenes of like this is happening in the movies and so this is what's happening in the behind the scenes like the Dark World saga of, to me was one of the more interesting ones because it was literally S.H.I.E.L.D. cleaning up the mess of Thor Dark World and that to me was very interesting and so I'm on board Rod I'm I'm loving this Robbie you go I want it <laughs> I was gonna say a really good writer to do one of those stories I'm forgetting her name but she's the writer in that uh that voices issue that wrote that Monica story where they're at the grocery store oh, yeah Stephanie would... um it's Stephanie Williams I believe I could be oh wrong. my goodness she yes. would she would fuck that shit up that would be oh my really god that be so perfect yeah. yeah stephanie will she is yeah she's an up-and-coming writer she's doing a lot more marvel things that would be fantastic i would say stephanie oh. um chip zendarsky uh kelly teeny howard teeny oh yeah scotty young scotty young yeah that's kind of why i love the runaways uh and and reading through this beautiful arc because they are trying to get the band back together and you know uh gertrude is really the pushing force for that but yeah it's like you get to see the com- the the slice of life of come on we want to get our, our chosen family back together because you know this is who we are and you also are reminded of like the super villain or the the kind of super powered elements of this story too with things like you know <laughs> the crazy scientist grandmother or yes. you know um um, oh, why do I? Molly. Molly's actually grown up a bit. I and know. Oh, I love it. But yeah, it's like, she, you know, she's got a lot of hard choices, but she also, she kicks a tree in half because she's frustrated with how much time grandma's spending with somebody else. It's like, I feel that. Girl. <laughs> I feel it too, honestly. I, maybe not, oh no, not Ooh. now too. I'm, I'm childish. I get it. But, <laughs> but I love Molly so much. I, she's throughout this for the whole series that's happened beyond the six issues i love her arc i think they're definitely like slowly growing her up i mean she's still a child but you know they're suddenly getting her more accepting of herself being a mutant and everything i still hope that she becomes on krakoa I know we don't want her to leave the Runaways family. I know, but I kind of want her to go to Coca-Cola She can like one so party there. I, I don't know if she'll be able to get on there, though, because she is a product of genetically modified so... mutates. So I don't know if the Gates will let her through first. We haven't seen it yet, that's so true. I don't know. They, oh, they, I, I think that's what they're they were hinting at with the most recent issues. But I'd but, still love to see yeah. like how that would go. Ooh, have the runaway have the runaways meet the children of the Adam. Oh, you know that what? Would that would be interesting. Because I was thinking that I would really like to see how Vita would write Molly, mm-hmm. whether it's like you said, Children of the Atom, or appearing in like an issue of New Mutants. Yeah, I could yeah. see that. I could see that going very well, and and being actually rather interesting as well. Like, yeah. Oh, definitely. Like if that. we like that. if we 
we had to um, replace Rainbow Rowell, like if, if mm-hmm. they were just like, okay, I wrote like 30 something issues of this. I'm tired. I would yeah. definitely get Vida Ayala to take their place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like there's, yeah, there's plenty of really great writers who could honestly take the, the characters from the runaway. And I think honestly preserve who they are, but still integrate them well into the stories lines that they normally work on, mm-hmm. which is yeah. what we want to see. You know, I and, would like to, sorry. I would like to see um, Rainbow do a story with the Power Pack. Yeah, I think Rainbow would be a really good writer for that. I think, yeah, I think she would do them. I think she would do them. Uh, uh, what are the words I'm trying to find? I think she would do a service to that storyline, mm-hmm. especially seeing as uh, Julie and um, Kay were a thing for a while. I'd love to see storylines with that integrated. See how that plays out between them and yeah I, like yeah i think that would work out quite well because again it's it's how you write the story it's it's the kind of uh the interaction and can you get us to empathize with the characters and i think that writing style would be perfect for what they want to do speaking of writing styles and everything i feel like rainbow Rowell really gets again all their voices right and i'm glad that um even though she's not of that culture we get a you know victor back in and then a latinx character because there's not that many in marvel so mm-hmm. we want to bring back the ones we actually do have. So I'm mm-hmm. glad that Victor's back now. <laughs> like, I miss him so damn much. I know. He was so good in the vision so in the vision um story that mm-hmm. um who wrote that? Tom, Tom King. Mm-hmm. That Tom King wrote. That was phenomenal. I mean, he wasn't like that. He was kind of evil in that one. But he's in this one, this one is like his like redemption arc in this runaways mm-hmm. book, which I really enjoy. So I I mean, this this arc, this first arc was definitely a good introduction to the whole runaways. Even if you've never read the runaways before, you don't know any of their backstory. This mm-hmm. did a pretty good job of telling you, like, hey, if you want to go read it, you can. If you don't, you don't mm-hmm. have to. You're still gonna enjoy it because mm-hmm. it's still a good story. And we're not gonna leave you you know without without you know unknowing you're not gonna know everything but you'll get the gist of it yeah and i mean they they go through kind of where each character is i mean nico is trying to scrape by in a shoebox apartment you know just trying to hang on she's been through her i think it was the avengers run for a bit and you know she's done all these other things and yet you know she's like yeah i I, i've run out of places to run away too so what do i do chase who has been he tried moving on but could not move on had to go back and and get gert gert who's just getting used to the fact that hey i'm 16 but i'm now several years in the future and i almost died um molly who's grown up but has never forgotten her chosen family but is now hanging out with kind of evil grandma grandma who grandmother has some control issues a little bit obsessed with science at the expense of her granddaughter (laughs) yeah very very much so um and and you know carolina who's just she's trying to be normal she's trying her best to be normal uh, or at least what she thinks normal is and go through those paces and yet she seems very conflicted about being those places when she knows she really wants to be somewhere else so yeah 
yeah, I think I think it's it's such an interesting book and it has so much and it tells you so much about the characters that you get caught up on the who, the what, the where, the when, the why, the how really quick and easy. And you like you're just oh, you just kind of ease into the ride and you're like, OK, everybody in the van, let's go. Let's do this. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it was such a shock to on the last issue that um, speaking of like what Evelyn said with the kind of crazy evil grandmother that she brought the mom back mm-hmm. and I don't I don't remember I guess it's good that I don't remember because we're not talking about it but I don't remember if we get if we see her again the mom I low-key don't remember either <laughs> so I don't think we do and we, if we, we see the mom for a couple panels um at the very end of six I believe oh yeah no I mean right we see her there but I'm talking mm. about after that like I mean oh, later in the I story definitely I mean, know that they mention in dialogue mm-hmm. but I can't remember if they actually and that's such an interesting thing to kind of I like that they're like well that's not really my mom so we're just gonna move on from that and that's my that's Molly's tale that she's like well you know this is a sign where I need to go because my grandmother is cloning my mom now there's no she's she's not gonna stop whatever she's trying to do so I just need to go and i was okay so i like to do this whenever we talk about like art like this and we all say how we loved it and loved it and that is great and we should love every because everything is awesome everything is awesome um (laughs) but i do like to say everything is not 100 percent perfect even though it's awesome and even if you love something you can always sometimes make it better so i want to ask each one of you we can start with robbie because i like to pick on robbie sometimes um (laughs) robbie what would you consider what is your constructive criticism or what is your like what would you change in the first art okay that is a little tough because well overall i did like it i think even though uh rainbow Rowell utilized a lot of scenes well with gert she could have maybe like dialed down a couple scenes and maybe showed like a little tiny bit more with like other characters because like i do understand that gert is like the main focus of that first story arc but it would have been nice to maybe see like a little bit more interactions with like the other characters like you know maybe having like chase and carolina having like a conversation with each other you know a little Mm. bit more of that yeah that's definitely a good perspective i didn't think about it like that i definitely agree what about you raven oh it's hard to think of like what i would change <laughs> honestly because i thought it i thought it followed a really good storyline they did a really good job to begin with um i might want like they had a good amount of dialogue good amount of dialogue uh i might want to see maybe a little bit of introspection um just on what some of the characters are feeling a little bit earlier in the story only because i am going in absolutely blind so it just helped me kind of get a grasp a little bit more like even if it's just like a photograph of them like they had ones that was the whole group i kind of wanted to see photographs between like two characters or maybe three characters so that you could kind of see the relationship one-on-one with each other but honestly Honestly, overall, it it was a good, strong start, and I think it, they really did well with this. And I can't wait to actually continue to read this series more. Love it, loving it. Perfect. What about you, Evelyn? So. For me, as much as I love the arc, the part of the arc where we see Molly with the grandmother and what the grandmother's doing, I felt it was almost too convenient because 
Like it, it gave us a very clear, not necessarily villain, but antagonist and something to work against and a very kind of clear reason why everyone is kind of just there. And it, it just, it felt almost easy to get them back together and being like, oh, it's just the small thing keeping us apart. We can overcome it. Yay. Um, but what I would like to see, even though I know what's going to happen, what I would like to see moving forward if this was if I was reading it for the first time would be a little bit more interaction between the characters maybe one-on-one or in groups um kind of coming to terms with them coming apart to start with Mm, yeah I definitely definitely agree I I actually didn't even now that I think back on it because it's been a while since I read this but um with the grandmother thing it was really easy and I think that's because that's just kind of how even the runaways was written back then this kind of like they had hardships and everything but it was more of like a young reader's book so they're just like Mm -hmm. we're gonna give them this adversary but then we're just gonna have like a a good clean break unless it's like um a continuing arc like storyline then we're gonna have like a dun 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 Mm -hmm. but you know but I definitely agree it was it was like very like oh we beat him we beat the grandmother now we're gonna go out the window and everything's fine (laughs) (laughs) she's not gonna come after us you know Molly's mom just got cloned but that's okay we're just gonna go out the window and it's fine old lace just ate two dozen cats (laughs) it just ate all the cats that were like psychically together it's fine his stomach is fine that was my favorite part he doesn't get hairballs like him not having hairballs is a crime (laughs) it is a crime like just subtly in the background or <gasps> or cough up a freaking like a, a a name tag or something. I would right? die. We need I would it. Die. We need it. Mr. Mittens, no! (laughs) I would say, besides that, my only, like, it's an, and it's more of like a selfish complaint because I know what Rainbow Rowell's doing. We all, well, not everyone, except for Raven, has read like further. (laughs) So Raven's like the viewers right now that have only read. Um, But we've all read ahead and we know what the story arc is doing. But Miko was so powerful and like knowing of her powers and like past stories like Avengers Academy and all of that. And I miss that Nico. Um, I do love this Nico as well. And we're going back to her original power set. You know, she has a whole story with that. And I and I, I like where that's going. But I also do miss the like Avengers Academy. I'm I'm learning like different power sets with my power that I have with the staff. I have the gloves. I'm like a magician. Like I I do miss that Nico because <laughs> you're like, <"Woo." laughs> I do miss that Nico because it was really nice to see her just be confident in herself, kind of sure. Still kind of unknown because she's a kid and making dumb decisions, but like it was nice. But now I feel like we kind of got a reset with this, which is not unusual because this is like a classic story and we're trying to like it's it's what's done a lot. So I get it. But that would be my gripe. 